Welcome, everyone. Let's start with the Lord's Prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. O Lord, make us worthy to pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one through Christ Jesus, our Lord, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Welcome everyone as we begin uh, the third session now, uh, which is the overview of the book of Acts. And when I say overview, it, it really is just an overview because it's really difficult in just the short time we have together to cover seven chapters or so in uh, less than an hour. So, uh, but hopefully it's a good introduction to kind of make you understand the gist of what's happening in the book of Acts and that you can go back and read it in more, uh, more detail. So um, with that, we'll get going. So as we left it last week, uh, we were talking about the persecution and the growth of the early church um, and how St. Paul began his initial uh, ministry, uh, his first journey, and we kind of went through the map. Today, we're going to cover the uh, second and third uh, journey missionaries of uh, missionary journeys of St. Paul. And then we'll kind of stop and pause at some key highlights during those uh, journeys. And of course, like always, this is meant to be a dialogue, not a monologue. Uh, if you want to jump in with any thoughts or, or want to add to the conversation, uh, please do so. So where we last left it was, um, if you remember in chapter 10, which we discussed last week, St. Peter was challenged by some of the Jewish Christians regarding the conversion of Cornelius and the, and the including of the Gentiles in the uh, church. So the early uh, Christians were Jewish Christians and they still observe Jewish customs out of habit. When I say out of habit, it really is like more than just a habit. It was their lifestyle. It was their being. It was their, uh, the way they conducted themselves. It was something essential to their way of life. And they, because as they were taught by the Pharisees, was to observe these things as they are the goal themselves. And when Christ came, he reminded them that these things are not the goal. These things point to a greater goal, point to greater truths, and that they should not be the focus, but they are used as a stepping stone towards the greater truth, which is, of course, the fulfillment of the law. And that fulfillment of the law came through Jesus Christ. So after the persecutions of uh, St. Stephen, uh, after that happened, the persecutions increased more and more with uh, Saul. And we talked about the conversion of St. Paul last week. Um, but that's what really pushed the apostles to preach outside of Jerusalem. And the Gentiles began to believe and the Gentiles began to grow in great, great numbers. Um, but once the Gentiles began to convert, this posed a problem. Uh, it became an issue as to whether or not they needed to observe these customs. So when like a Greek or an Egyptian or a Roman um, with all their complex pagan history, right, to come in and to become part of, the, uh, to be called like a son of Abraham, what requirements are there for them? Do they also have to fulfill the Jewish customs and to observe the laws of uh, Moses and, and things of that sort? Um, was it essential for them to being Christian? And so that was the first real debate in the church. And it started right with uh, the conversion of Cornelius 
and it began and it and it continued on and on and we saw that it was really divisive even among the apostles themselves they they were challenged with this topic and it became a point of division um, uh, among uh, people in the early church and that was really the first challenge the first internal challenge that the church had to face um, so there was a group of people called the Judaizers, right? Or the, those who wanted to Judaize Christianity that basically said, if you wanted to be Christian, you first had to observe all of the laws and then become Christian. So you needed to uh, do the sacrifices. You needed to have circumcision. You need to observe all the calendar rituals and things of that sort. And of course, as you know, this all occurred before the destruction of Jerusalem, right? And so these Judaizers, they, they didn't cause a small stir. It was a big stir that they caused in the early church. And so um, we're going to get into that today. So the issue became very decisive. Um, St. Paul in his epistles, he mentions this a lot. He mentions these people as causing a lot of problems. In his epistle, in, during his epistles, especially uh, during Galatians, he belittles the value of works of the law, such as circumcision, ritual practices, observing of the Old Testament days, months, and feasts, and other similar matters like that, like the Passover and things of that sort. So St. Paul kind of de de like minimizes those things. He says, don't go back to slavery. Christ made you free because he is the fulfillment of these things. And he also says in Colossians, these were all shadows of things to come. So for example, if one were to practice the um, the ritual of the, the Passover, for example, right? Those were all shadows of our true Passover, which is Jesus Christ on the cross, right? When we celebrate Pascha, that is the true Pascha, right? The true Passover, which is the fulfillment of the all these other Old Testament symbols and law and um, and, and laws that pointed to Christ on the cross. You can't observe the shadow and the true object of attention that casts the shadow, right? So if you're looking at the shadow, you're not looking at the true object of attention, right? So that's why in Colossians 2.17, he says that all these things, circumcision and, and all the other works of the law um, as practiced, uh, they were all shadow of things to come, but the substance and the fulfillment is of Christ. And so, for example, um, when people still observe circumcision, that was a big deal. Um, the circumcision was a symbol of baptism that would come later, right? The death uh, with Christ, putting off the old man and coming out of the water as a new man, the, the man that of the, uh, the human being that was there before the fall of Adam and Eve. <clears throat> so we get that renewed nature. So they, they stumbled uh, on that issue. But St. Paul does not belittle, this is the critical thing, he does not belittle that kind of faith that works through love, that faith that works through love. And so our Protestant brothers, for example, they will use some of the verses out of context when St. Paul uh, minimizes the works of the law and they'll say, see, you don't need works for salvation. We would argue, no, those are not the works he's talking about. He, in fact, he says, many more verses about the importance of works uh, as necessary for our salvation. 
and that works working through faith and working through love, that is a proper type of work, right? Like feeding the hungry or helping a brother or sister in need, uh, serving in the church. Those are all things that help. Uh, those are all works of love, right? That are done in faith. So faith, love is what justifies the work itself. And, and that's the acceptable work. But the issue became very, very sharp to the point where even the two great saints, St. Peter and St. Paul, they argued about this. And St. Paul actually rebuked the great St. Peter about this issue. Because again, it was so embedded in their um, psyche, right? Um, I will read that section. Uh, it says here, but Peter, this is St. Paul talking, um, Peter, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him in public because he was clearly wrong. Before some men who had been sent by James arrived there, Peter had been eating with the Gentile believers, the Christians, right? Uh, but after these men arrived, after the Jewish Christians arrived, he drew back and would not eat with the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who were in favor of circumcising them. The other Jewish believers also started acting like cowards along with Peter. Very harsh words, right? But that's the type of person St. Paul was. Even, and even Barnabas was swept away, swept along by their cowardly action. When I saw that they were not walking a straight path in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, and yet you have been living like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How then can you try to force Gentiles to live like Jews? Very powerful words, right? But it, again, it shows how this issue really dominated the early church. It was one of the big issues that they dealt with. And understanding that really gives a lot of insights into the epistles of St. Paul when you read them and when St. Paul speaks about works versus faith and the importance of grace and all that he's really talking about when he belittles that works he's talking about this type of work that of course uh were shadows of things to come and have their fullness in christ so then that that issue did not stop right and it became uh as mentioned in acts chapter 15 it became a point of um, contention so the apostles thought that they can get together and have a council. So this is called the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, it was mentioned in Acts chapter 15. It was held between, sometimes between the year 48 to 51 AD with the apostles and priests present. Um, and, they, you know, to cut the story short, they, uh, they gave equal status to the Gentile believers um, and uh, Basically, whoever converted and became baptized and received the Holy Spirit, they had equal status and they had no more requirement to fulfill the uh, Old Testament laws because those are, again, shadows of the New Testament graces that we're enjoying. So this council, of course, was um, used as a model for future ecumenical councils. So when like the Arian heresy popped up, uh, they had a ecumenical council with all of the bishops of the world. And uh, they all met and uh, debated, just like they debated at this council, because it says in Acts chapter 15, 15 that they actually debated with one another until St. Peter got up and actually uh, talked about the graces that the Gentiles were receiving. So it, this model that the apostles set uh, with the councils, it helped uh, resolve future heresies as well.
Um, so also in Acts chapter 15, we note that St. Paul starts his second missionary journeys, during which um, St. Paul, during the second missionary journey, writes the first and second uh, epistles to the Thessalonians. Um, here also St. Paul decides not to take St. Mark with them on the journey. Barnabas wanted to take St. Mark. Uh, St. Paul was uh, against it, as we talked about last week. St. Saint Mark decided not to continue with them on their first journey. So um, St. Paul decides not to take St. Mark. And they kind of debated the issue and Barnabas decides to stick with St. Mark and they uh, went to Cyprus. This is important for us, right, as a Coptic Orthodox Christian, because this helps shape St. Mark's missionary journey himself, because he too had a missionary journey. It wasn't like St. Paul's, but he also went around the world, around the Mediterranean, uh, preaching as well. And so this helped uh, pave the way for him to come to Libya and then walk from Libya all the way to Alexandria and starting our church. So thank God, uh, God works in mysterious ways sometimes. So when you look at the second missionary of St. Paul, I recommend maybe, um, if possible, uh, if you could take a photograph of this uh, so that you can follow along. Um, so we'll see the journeys that he did and we'll kind of talk about some of the things that he did. And at Antioch right here is where St. Mark and St. Barnabas, they go to Cyprus. And St. Paul uh, uh, continues with Silas um all across asia minor and into greece and then back again to jerusalem and back to antioch so we'll kind of go through some of the uh interesting things that have happened during this first missionary trip so in chapter 16 um through 18 is the second missionary saint paul meets saint timothy and you guys know saint timothy of course he's the uh, one that saint paul writes two epistles to he meets him as uh, Deborah and Lystra. So you, we see here that this is the second time he visits these cities and uh, we, he starts to see the fruit of his labor. Um, uh, you know, he, he starts to see all of his effort kind of come to fruition uh, because now, uh, you know, people like St. Timothy now are starting to, uh, you know, start like a plant that was planted and then he comes back and sees the plant in his second trip and he sees this plant grow up to be St. Timothy, you know, it's a great saint. And so the fruit of his labor is definitely, now he's starting to show uh, some of his effort. You know, that it's just a lesson in our service that sometimes we put in an effort and, um, and with Christ and we think, oh, you know, I'm not making a difference, you know, that, you know, all this hard work I'm doing and uh, I really don't know if I'm making a difference. Sometimes we don't see that fruit until later and sometimes actually we don't see the fruit even until after we die so the things that we do in service in our current life actually ripples across the generations uh, we are still feeling the impact of saint paul's service that he did and we are still riding the waves that he caused and saint athanasius in the in the third and fourth centuries and saint cyril of alexandria and saint severus and all these great saints and pope carolos who died in the 60s um, you know, uh, late 60s, um, or was it 1971, I think, yeah, and so when he, all of the hard works he's doing and the decisions he's made, you know, kind of still impacting us today, right, and so um, we're kind of like a rock thrown in a pond, right, the rock disappears, but the ripples remain, the things that we do stay 
long after us and we see the fruit even even later in our life or maybe even after our life the fruit comes for other people to see um so uh saint paul still felt compelled though to circumcise timothy because of the jews it says in in the uh, in these chapters so even then right even after the council he still feels compelled to circumcise timothy to appease the jewish people with the jewish christians who are there uh, then he goes to Philippi, um, and there he meets St. Lydia, and she and her whole household believes and are baptized. And you'll never see the uh, conversion of people, you know, when they believe, it oftentimes follows that they and their household are baptized. Um, the baptism always comes. It was not sufficient for them to just simply believe, but they needed to um, you know, be baptized, and it says in other places where the apostles would lay their hands on uh, the believers after baptism, and then they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, we do that during baptism. Uh, they receive both sacraments, which is the baptism and also the uh, anointing of the oil uh, through the hands of the priest, and they receive the Holy Spirit, just like the apostles did back then. Uh, St. Paul removed a demon out of a girl during these chapters, and uh, this causes a huge uproar in the city because of the loss of the business. This lady, this young uh, slave girl was um, actually, uh, you know, saying some mysterious things, you know, like demons can know some mysterious things sometimes. And so she was saying things like that, and they would make money, like kind of like soothsaying or uh, fortune telling, uh, stuff like that. And um, so when St. Paul was annoyed at that, he uh, exercised this woman and the demon left her and they were really mad of all the loss of business. So it caused a great uproar and they whipped St. Paul and Silas and put them in prison. Uh, so in the prison at Philippi, Philippi we, we uh, see like we read last week how St. Peter was in prison and he was um, sleeping so much so that the angel of appeared and the light filled the the uh, cell and he still wasn't waking up so the angel had to kind of knock him on his side to wake him up uh here saint paul and saint silas were in in the prison and they were at midnight it would said at midnight they were praying and singing hymns to god um amazing and and as they were praying and singing hymns during this time, an earthquake occurred and it shook, it shook all the iron fetters and it released their chains and it opened the gates of the prisons, um, so much so that the uh, soldiers who were guarding, the soldier that was guarding the prisoners, uh, he thought, oh wow, you know, this earthquake happened, the gates fell, for sure these guys escaped and he was actually going to kill himself because he knew that he would be uh, killed if uh, his superior came. So he killed, He was about to kill himself and St. Paul stopped him and told him that they were still there and that no harm would come to him. And so the soldier out of that believed and he and his household were baptized afterwards. And then on to uh, chapter 17 in Thessalonica. Um, St. Paul, as was his custom, uh, was preaching in the synagogue. So the early uh, believers were people in the synagogue and those around the synagogue. So <clears throat> many Jewish people did believe. Uh, oftentimes, though, he did encounter opposition as well. So, um, but most of the people who believed were the Gentiles uh, of these areas. So uh, a mob formed due to the success of St. Paul and um, it says here that those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. 
So these apostles were starting to get a reputation for turning the world upside down. And so now they're coming here too. That, that's what they said. And St. Paul and St. Silas escape to another city before uh, they're captured. Uh, the city of Berea. So at Berea, uh, they again continued their success and their service um, and in converting many. But the troublemakers from Thessalonica followed them. And St. Paul here um, also, uh, uh, there was a huge uproar because of that, because of the same people from Thessalonica came and followed them. So St. Paul and St. Uh, Silas escape one more time and they go to Athens, Greece. And so St. Paul, waiting for uh, Timothy and Silas to come, because he went first, uh, was overcome with emotions when he looked around and saw all the idols of the city. And there were so many idols. And something stirred inside of him uh, to the point where he began debating with those on the street. And they called him a babbler uh, because they wanted to know uh, more about what he was saying, right? They, they wanted to know more because they always wanted to hear some new things. So what is this babbler saying? Let's find out and investigate what he's saying. So St. Paul gives a very powerful speech. I really encourage you to go back and read it in chapter 17. Um, but he basically says that the natural and man-made objects is not like the divine nature and therefore should not be worshipped. You got to understand that during this time, up until this point, uh, from Adam and Eve till this point of Christianity, we've had thousands of years of um, paganism, right? Even before Abraham, like the pyramids of Egypt were built a thousand years or so before, little less than a thousand years before Abraham was even born, right? And even before that, the, the religions were complex. The, um, the pagan, paganism and idolatry was embedded into the, again, just like Judaism embedded into the Jewish Christians, paganism was embedded in the, um, in the psyche of uh, basically all over the world that there were many gods, right? There has to be many gods. The concept of one God was forgotten uh, since Adam and Eve. It was something that was forgotten and that needed to be reminded uh, of with Christianity. And so um, that's what St. Paul gives this speech about, that th there's something called a divine nature um, that created everything, including us, and it gave us life. Um, and that this person, uh, you, know, the, you know, that Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. And so these two things was the focus of his speech. And so when they got to the point of rising from the dead, they kind of just say, wait a minute, what is he talking about here, rising? All these are just concepts, and we love to discuss theories. Actually rising from the dead to conquer death, that was going too far from them. That was the, like, wow, really? You really mean death is conquered? And so they couldn't bear that. So St. Paul travels to Corinth and meets a couple called Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife who were uh, Jewish, and Claudius Caesar, because a lot of the uh, Jewish people that were in Rome had to travel to other parts because Claudius Caesar, um, one of the Roman emperors, commanded that all the Jews be uh, expelled from Rome. And so we, we don't understand why in the book of Acts, but there's a document um, called The Lives of the Twelve Caesars. is written by somebody called Setonius. Uh, it was written about the year 121 AD. He gives a hint as to why, but it still uh, doesn't shed too much light, but I just wanted to share it with you. He says that since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Christus, he expelled them from Rome. 
So we're not sure who Christus is. Is it does did, is does he mean Christos, which is Christ, because of Christ? That so it was the early Christians that were uh, converting a lot of people, or was it another person named Christus? We're not sure, but it it was reinforced that what Saint Paul said was true because here's another document uh, that says that they were expelled from Rome, but we're not clear why. Uh, so Saint Paul. Uh, like earns a living and we, we learn in chapter 18 that he earns a living as a tent maker and continues to preach. So he didn't want to bring offense to any uh, of his preaching. Like he's um, using the faith to gain in money or anything like that. So he wouldn't take a single penny from anyone. He basically earned his living as a tent maker. He paid for his own food and his own shelter he sold the tents he made with, uh, you know, Aquila and Priscilla. They had the same trade. Um, and so uh, he made this and he kind of, uh, we'll talk about that later too, that he earned his own life and uh, did not lean on anyone for worldly, uh, worldly things. After that, he's, he uh, goes back to um, Athens and St. Paul travels to Corinth and meets a couple. I'm sorry, I already talked about that. Uh, then he begins to, uh, he stays there for about a year and a half, okay? That's the one thing we, we missed there. He stays there for about a year and a half. And then he travels back to Jerusalem. St. Paul is intent to celebrate what he says, this coming feast in Jerusalem. So likely the Feast of the Resurrection, maybe the Pentecost, which is mentioned later. Uh, but he's eager to, to celebrate the feast in Jerusalem. So, so we see that the apostles um and there's references throughout the epistles of the apostles going to uh celebrate like a church calendar this is the early formation of various events and feasts uh major events that christ performed that they would celebrate on an annual basis like the resurrection like easter or christmas or the pentecost or and so on like we have the seven um major feasts uh that they that christ did that we celebrate on our church calendar and seven minor feasts as well. So we see a hint of this uh, among the apostles. So he's back at Jerusalem, and so now he's about to travel again to his third missionary trip, which is covered in chapter 18 through 21. And again, take a picture of this. And uh, if you if you Google St. Paul's missionary trips, you'll find lots of uh, nice, uh, I didn't make this, you'll find lots of really nice uh, maps and, and line work. So this is one that I found that I thought was useful. So if you want to take a picture of this and use it to follow along as we talk. Okay. Uh, also, during his third uh, missionary journey, he writes four epistles. He writes First uh, and Second Corinthians, and he writes Galatians and Romans as well. So, you know, now he's starting to write more and more epistles during these journeys. Also, Saint Luke, who is accompanying this journey, uh, he writes the Gospel of Saint Luke during this third. Uh, journey so that's really uh, important to know right because during this third journey a lot of really nice things came out of it right uh, including the gospel of saint luke so after jerusalem uh, he begins that third journey and saint paul meets apollos there's an interesting thing about apollos so this was a person who was likely jewish born in uh, alexandria egypt but um this person was a um 
very intelligent uh, person, it says. And we know that uh, Alexandria has uh, had a very large um, Jewish population, uh, some very uh, famous uh, thinkers that from the Jewish community were there, like for example, Philo of Alexandria, you might've heard of him. Uh, so he lived in Alexandria um, uh, about the same time of Apollos. So Apollos, though, we know at one point he learns from St. John the Baptist. And so St. Paul meets Apollos in Asia Minor. Um, very interesting, right? And, and Apollos seems to have been really well instructed by St. John the Baptist. Because it says here that he taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So he only learned the baptism of John, but was proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, it really gives you an insight as to how powerful St. John the Baptist preaching was. I mean, we didn't, we didn't see everything in the gospels about what St. John said. He must have said a lot of things that this person, Apollo, Apollos was able to prove that Jesus is the Christ uh, based on the preaching of St. John the Baptist, right? That's how powerful and impactful the preaching of St. John the Baptist was. And this is years and years later, right? This is before the crucifixion, um, you, know, you know, after St. Paul spends three years in the wilderness learning from Christ himself. And, you know, many years later, we see Apollos still preaching. It's really interesting insight that we see here in chapter 18. Also, we read in uh, chapter 19 uh, that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of St. Paul. We learn um, that his handkerchiefs or aprons, because we know St. Paul had a wound on his side. And so uh, the handkerchief, the bandages that were there, um, that Christ told him, my grace is sufficient for you, um, that uh, he actually used those bandages. People would take these bandages and, and heal other people. Um, so we also say in the fraction during the Apostles Fast that uh, the shadow of St. Peter was healing people and the handkerchiefs and aprons of St. Paul were healing people. Very strange, but we see how God was working through the Apostles. He works through the saints. Uh, he enjoys to do so. Uh, he could just heal the sick directly, but instead he was using and honoring the saints, right? He was honoring St. Peter and St. Paul, honoring the shadow of St. Peter honoring the handkerchiefs and aprons of uh, St. Paul. And uh, we, we hear here that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, as we say at the end of every Acts reading on Sundays and at every liturgy, the word of God, the word of God shall grow, multiply, be mighty, and be confirmed in the church of God forever. Amen. And so we see that the church was growing. It was very exciting to see the Holy Spirit work during this time. Then we get to chapter 20. Chapter 20, um, again, he's traveling through the same areas that he preached before. So, you know, he preached there, he goes there again, and he goes there again a third time. Um, one event, uh, I mean, what, the, what does that show? That shows his fatherly care, his, his deep um, concern for all the churches, and his deep concern for all of the uh, well-being of those uh, he uh, preached to the first time. One interesting story is that he was preaching until midnight at one home, right? And all the people were there gathered to hear St. Paul speak. And a young man named Edichus, uh, he was falling asleep. He was drowsy because it was late. And he fell off the balcony, something like three stories high. He fell off from a window or a balcony or something. 
and then he falls down uh, three stories high. St. Paul embraces him and uh, restores his life back to him, right? And so a major miracle there, and everybody was really comforted by that. But he was hurrying to go back to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Pentecost, it says here. Uh, he gives a very fatherly speech at Ephesus, saying that he wouldn't see them again. And they all wept. They were all very sad. This speech in um, chapter 20, verses 18 through 35, it's a really good example of pastoral care. Uh, he shows love, encouragement. He warns them uh, to be careful, and he establishes them in faith and encouragement. Um, he enforces that um, the preaching that he gave to them was pure and sincere and worthy of belief, right? It was preached in humility, not authoritatively, not for pride. It wasn't um, taught for attention or anything like that. He didn't hold anything back. Everything that he was told, he told them everything. Um, he didn't, uh, you know, take any of their money that he, again, we remember we learned that he was a tent maker, right? He provided of his own necessities. So he didn't do it for money or or apparel or clothes or anything like that. He did it, um, in fact, he suffered very many things, right? It, this preaching that they received, they received it with tears, with suffering on account of the preaching. Uh, he proceeds to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to suffer even more over there. So he tells them, look, all of these things, you know, point, I'm not bragging. It's all pointing to the fact that these words that I'm telling you is true indeed and worthy of all belief. There's no hidden agenda with this. We're not peddling anything. This is all true and, and pure and sincere. And then he warns them in this farewell speech to them of wolves that would come and, um, try to uh, sway the believers, right, to take them away. And he calls them wolves, and he calls the church uh, sheep, and he tells them as good shepherds, you have to protect the sheep against the wolves, right? These are false teachings that would come in the church and try to even deceive the believers. He then commends them to God and to his grace. He leads them. He says, don't worry about any of that. You know, I'm warning you, but lean on God's grace and you're going to be just fine. And then they all wept. It's very uh, touchy, actually, right? They wept. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't care about these wolves that would come later, but they wept because um, that they would see him no more. They really loved St. Paul. It's really touchy. They, it says that they fell on his neck and kissed him on his neck and, like, embraced him and, you know, at the words that they would never see him again, right, in this life. And so it's a very touching scene that shows how St. Paul demanded the love of uh, those who uh, he worked with uh, for the salvation of others. Um, it's a really, I, I really like that scene because it shows how much uh, love that he had that people return that love back. So finally in chapter 21, on the way back to Jerusalem, some uh, disciples warn him not to go to Jerusalem. They say, and, they, and it says here that they said it through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles or disciples to <clears throat> warn him, to say, hey, heads up in Jerusalem, you're going to suffer there. Um, and then the apostles said, hey, don't go. You're gonna, the, the Spirit is telling us that you are going to suffer there. And then he receives a second warning as Caesarea that the, from this person uh, whose name Agabus, he's a prophet and he prophesied that he would be bound in chains in Jerusalem. 
So many, including St. Luke, tried to persuade him, saying, don't go, don't go. You, you've received two different warnings. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're not safe there. And so again, we see a, a little glimpse of St. Paul's personality. He says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So St. Paul and others inspired by him also go with St. Paul to Jerusalem. So, uh, and they leave it up to God. They say, let it be according to God's will. But the words, you're breaking my heart, trying to stop me. He was, he was grieved. St. Paul was grieved, not at the suffering he was about to endure. It's as if he couldn't care less about what he was about to endure. He's willing to literally die. But his heart was breaking because they were sad. He cared so much about their comfort and joy that the fact that they were sad made him sad, not because he was going to suffer. Um, he, he kind of turned everything upside down, you know? <clears throat> like what we care about is our own well-being, and we, that's what breaks our heart. But his heart being broken was the fact that somebody was sad, right? The people that he loved was sad. Um, it reminds me of uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch. <clears throat> um, he was a disciple of St. John the Evangelist. He wrote a letter uh, to the Romans that says, uh, basically, uh, it tells this, this letter was written as he was traveling to Rome to be martyred. And the people of the Christians of Rome, they kind of went to stop that, um, that he, you know, to stop him from going to Rome so that he wouldn't be martyred. Uh, and so he writes this amazing and very touchy letter that you should read. It's all online right now called the letter of St. Ignatius of Antioch to the Romans. And in it, he says, do not hinder me. Do not be unseasonably kind to me. It is better for me to die for Jesus Christ than to rule over the ends of the earth. Him I seek who died on our behalf. Him I long for who rose again for our sake. Brothers, do not keep me from living. Do not desire my death. He, again, he turned it upside down. He says, for me to die now is to live with Christ. And you to stop me from dying now is that you're actually desiring my death, my eternal death. This is my opportunity to live forever. Why would you stop me? And he truly believed that. And, and it did have an impact. And as we know, the story goes on that he was eventually... Um, given to the Romans, and uh, he died in the Colosseum with the, with the lions eating him alive, right? And so that's how he was martyred. So that's it right there, uh, respecting the time at 8.30. Um, you know, St. Paul's journeys, just to close, are inspiring. Uh, there's been a few movies written about him. Uh, he's, he's a very inspiring uh, individual. And we see the Holy Spirit working mightily through him. And uh, we ask him to pray for us when you read uh, the book of Acts or any of his epistles. Um, you know, you can ask St. Paul to pray for you and to guide you uh, in understanding. Um, there's a famous story of St. John Chrysostom, who was reading the epistles. And if you know St. John Chrysostom, uh, has a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on every one of the epistles of St. Paul which uh, we have, it's all online now. If you have uh, any questions on how to get to that, let me know. Um, but he uh, has a, a story where he was having trouble understanding some verses and St. Paul appeared to him and explained to him 
what he meant when he wrote it uh, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course. So uh, when we read scriptures, uh, we're not alone when we read it. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the saints praying for us. And of course, we have the commentaries of the saints as well. So any questions or anything to add? Okay, we'll end it there and respect the time. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. O Lord, make us worthy to pray through the intercessions of our Holy Mother, St. Mary, St. Basil the Great, St. Paul and St. Peter and St. Luke and all the holy apostles um, and early disciples who preached to, uh, the kingdom to the world and through whose effort we are still benefiting from through their prayers and intercessions here. So we're going to say, thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil one through Christ Jesus our Lord for thine is the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. The love of God the Father, grace of his only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all, depart in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you.